This is the Deep Color podcast series. Deep Color is an oral history project where I talk with artists about their work and their lives. The ultimate goal here is to give listeners a better understanding about the experiences and people behind the artwork. My name is Joseph Hart. I produce and facilitate this series. These recordings are casual, straight on, and unscripted. This episode gently steps out of its usual lane of featuring a conversation with an artist and profiles the art dealer Ellie Rines. Ellie is the founder and director of the gallery 56 Henry, which is located in New York City's Chinatown neighborhood. She is also a co-director at Cezanne Benetier's New York location. Ellie is an ambitious gallerist, a thoughtful observer and supporter of art and artists, and believes in the transformative potential of having art in our everyday lives. We recorded this conversation at my studio in the bed section of Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Um, and 56 Henry is how old now? How long has it been in operation? It will be three like years. Three years? From when I signed the lease. Uh-huh. And can you talk about... And then two years of 55 Gansvort. It's like right. five years of having a gallery. Space. Right. So from, from Gansvort to Henry Street. Yes. Um, and that compresses like five, six years. Can you talk about your programming at 56 Henry and maybe the function of the space? Mm-hmm. Um, so I started off, I guess I'll talk about 55 Gansevoort yeah. for a minute. To, uh, well, no, that, I think that led into all over there. Yeah, that so led into 56 Henry. So of course, 55 Gansevoort was a space that was the emergency exit of a building. It had like two nightclubs that get like robbed all the time and people wouldn't take the art. Like I think maybe like a Nauman book. Oh, while you were there, it got robbed. Yeah. Well, cause I was the exit. Right. So I would have to like go up to the top floor on like the elevator that didn't get locked and like shimmy over. Adam Marnie has some good video footage one time of me being like, okay, cool. Do you want to come see the gallery? And mm-hmm. it's like me like taking an elevator up, like climbing under something, yeah. like <laughs> scooching across like kind of like a thin wall. Um, and so that was kind of, uh, it was like an elevator shaft almost. It was about 70 square feet. And I would have an artist put in one sculpture or kind of like one thought or idea. And it was very much a project space. And it was it mostly sculpture or three-dimensional objects, would you say? Yeah. I feel like that's what my memory of it. Yeah, like it was mostly right in the sculpture yeah. or something site-specific, but usually just like one, um, like one artwork so that someone could... I kept the, I kept the doors open during openings. And then after the opening, it was meant to be just experienced from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I had this kind of marbled glass, which also was why I didn't really show paintings. Because yeah. like, like a storefront glass window. Glass was so shitty. Yeah. That, like it wouldn't do much of a service. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea was that you would just walk by and have your headphones in or something and look in through the windows. And get to just have like an individual moment with an artwork. Right. And um, so... I really loved doing that, and I ran that space for, I think, two years. Yeah, two years. And um, then the building was bought. So I had, like, Rachel Foulon's opening was, like, the Thursday before the last week, like, before the Monday when it would close, mm-hmm. <laughs> which she was a really good sport about it. And um, so, yes, yeah, so I kind of continued that because I really loved that idea of working with artists that are represented by other galleries but then me being able to provide this platform where they could do something that's not assailable mm-hmm. and 
like as a painter, you kind of go through and you paint your paintings and you paint on to the next series sort of. Right. And like you paint through it. And it's harder for someone that's a sculptor or makes like, you know, something that's not 2D like that. Right. Doesn't to, rely on a wall or something. Yeah, yeah. For them to kind of like have those opportunities as much and for them to keep kind of like going through from one step to the next. So I looked at it as being this kind of like really great... Yeah, really great way to isolate something that an artist is fixated on and then being able to like get it out of their system mm -hmm. the way you might make like five paintings and then be like, okay, cool. Right. I can now move on to the next. Right, right. Um, and so, yeah, so I had that space. The building was bought and then I thought I was going to take some time off and I was having these like weird dreams that were just like clouds of color. I was like, okay, <laughs> this isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. And so then I found 56 Henry, which is the live workspace. As you know, Halsey McKay was renting um, in the middle room for a year. And uh, I kept that kind of philosophy. In Chinatown. In Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Chinatown, New York City. Two <laughs> Bridges neighborhood. Right. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I just wanted to find like another little nook. And I also needed an apartment. So this was a live workspace. It's like an artist studio rent, kind of. Mm -hmm. But I just sell other artists' work. Mm -hmm. Which I guess makes me conceptual. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So I... Was bringing that over. I sectioned it off. We built a wall, so it was just eight by eight, like the, a little cube. And so, like Michelle Segrey, who did a show with me at Fifty Five Gansafort, then did a show with me at Fifty Six Henry, um, and because my kind of like my motive was always wanting to work with the best artists that I could work with, and having a space that's that size gets you like you know it doesn't make it such a burden for someone yeah. To do we it. should clarify that that Fifty Six Henry is also not a huge. Yeah. vast gallery it's you know it's altogether like three or four hundred square feet yeah, yeah 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 it's tiny um so that so I was kind of like bringing that philosophy over to 56 Henry um and then like the first show was Polly Applebaum and she strung necklaces for people and she had all these ceramic beads on a table mm -hmm. so like really simple straightforward no frills kind of exhibitions mm -hmm. And then that also was working out as being a nice platform for an artist to have their first solo show because there's like not as much room for failure right. when it's only eight by eight. Like <laughs> how bad can it really go? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I didn't want to rush like with representing artists or those kind of things. So I really took my time with it. And now I represent four artists. So the program is kind of like half me showing someone like Joanne Greenbaum or Polly or Michelle Segrey who have other galleries mm -hmm. and them getting to kind of like play around in my space and then having an exhibition once every like year and a half with uh, with the artists that I represent. Right. And you represent Al Freeman. Yes. Nikita Gale. Mm -hmm. Cynthia Talmadge. Mm -hmm. And Richard Tinkler, right? Yes. Yeah. So those are your four. Those are the four. Tight little group. Yeah. Um, you know, last time we were hanging out, we were talking about sort of the opaqueness around how a gallery operates mm -hmm. and how it's financed. And I wondered if you would uh, be comfortable talking about how you finance 56 Henry. Of course. Yeah. Let's hear it. I'm a very open person, Joe. You know this. <laughs> <laughs> the person on the G train over here probably knows how I finance the gallery. <laughs> well, I mean, I think it's, you know, there's a lot of illusion out there. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think it's important to mention that, you know, we were just talking earlier before we hit, hit turn on the mics that, you know, it's a volatile market out there. Selling mm -hmm. artwork isn't the easiest thing in the world. So, um, but you've always talked about, we've talked about the, 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 the nimbleness of 56 Henry and some of your strategies for 
for keeping it going. And yeah. this is a, I, I just, you know, let's broadcast them. Great. <laughs> is this thing on? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been able to have like other jobs, that kind of thing to finance the gallery because I've wanted to have the flexibility mm-hmm. where um, I think that, you know, a gallery is really based on its artists. So you have to have the best artists to have the best gallery. And um, I wanted to be able to take it slow with representing artists. I didn't want to be just like picking up work because I thought it could sell. Right. So I've been like really slow in that process. And that's given me the freedom to have less conventional programming. Um, and so, yeah, so I have a job. I'm the director at Cezanne and Benetier, their uh, New York gallery, uh, which is great because it makes me like less freaked out financially all the time. Yeah, and they have location. In- <laughs> it's not like me sitting and listening to like Melissa Etheridge with like a bottle of wine <laughs> in the dark of 56 Henry. <laughs> I mean like, shit, yeah. <laughs> how is this going to work? Um, so that's been really helpful. I've always kind of worked other jobs. I do like some advising. Um, I do like a very minimal amount of secondary markets. So like when it like resell mm-hmm. of paintings, um, and then I just have, I beat the gallery is pretty much run by interns almost. Right. Which are important. Yeah. They're incredible. They're, they're a force over there. Yeah. 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 They're really, they're really amazing angels. And Sydney, I just brought on Sydney. That's on, she's on salary now, which is really great. Okay. Um, because it's necessary. And what um, sorts of things do they help you do? everything yeah i mean is it administrative (laughs) help me decide if i should keep a dress or give it to them (laughs) like (laughs) does this make me look fat or like you know like like that to like uh sydney's first day she did my taxes right (laughs) it's almost like a pa yeah no it's a really like um i had really great internships and i think that internships can be really important it's like a learning process and so i kind of have this like really like that could be its own whole thing is like this strange like mentorship program at 56 Henry mm-hmm. where they all kind of take like take care of each other. They're on like a big group text and are all good friends. And it's really as a community of the interns. And it's great, too, because they have like their useful perspectives. So I love it when I've got like three generations in there. Yeah. Um, but to get back on how I <laughs> keep it going. Yes. Yes. So uh, the interns help a lot. And then um, I've really figured out my price point. That was something that was really critical for me to be able to stay in business is to know that like there can be what you want people to come to you for as a gallery. And then there can be like what they want to come to you for. And they're often different. And then when you find the place where that like overlaps, it's really great. Mm -hmm. So like Al Freeman's works, they started at like $500 and they're still like mostly under $5,000 and, Cynthia's work and Richard's drawings and Nikita we're still figuring out kind of how to like right what we what we might call affordable in the world of contemporary art yeah Yeah. absolutely so that it's like artists like a lot of artists and other dealers like I sell a lot to other dealers because it's within the range Mm -hmm. so that was finding my price point was really right and and do you participate in fairs how important are fairs I mean that's you know something people love to talk about the the validity of a art fair these days (sighs) (laughs) um i mean i do nada and that's really great because i'm able to have a booth that's not so expensive Mm -hmm. and then but like my challenge is is that i only work with four artists 
Sorry, I had a hiccup. That's okay. And um, I was crying at the thought of art fairs. <laughs> I'm like, sorry, my eyes are just watering and I don't know. I've got to blow my nose. Um, but uh, yeah, with so like that's really good. I mean, it is super important and you kind of have to give into the system to some extent. I feel like last time, bring it up because last time mm-hmm. we were chit-chatting, you said that they were one of the things that might crush a gallery. Definitely. Yeah. Talk about that. Well, it's kind of like this... Like you, it's like you have to participate in it and you're not going to give someone nearly as thorough of an education on an artist's work if they're looking at an art fair booth. Also, the way I speak about art at art fairs by like Saturday is like just dismal. Right. If it opens on Thursday afternoon (laughs) or something, by Saturday you're fried. By Saturday, I'm just like, yeah, isn't it fabulous? (laughs) um, I mean, it's it's great because you have the opportunity to show the work to like a lot of curators, a lot of collectors. It's hard to get everyone to come down to your gallery. But I think that I'm like very traditional and old fashioned with the idea of like what a gallery does like I think that my job as a gallerist is that I have you know the primary part of my job is that I work for four artists Nikita Richard Cynthia Al and my job is to take their work that's in the studio and then be kind of like a conduit so that it can be like expressed and be able to be kind of like interpreted outside of that realm. So figuring out like which work we show, how we present it and kind of like guiding them and what they want to be making public so that that's like, it's like getting people to learn their language or like ner- learn how to like pronounce the words or something and uh, getting people, like educating someone on an artist is much more challenging to do that in an art fair, but you get a lot more people come by. Sure. And let's not forget I mean, I'm a big believer in the show itself, the idea of a show, something Mm -hmm. cohesive that you can walk through and spend time in and parse out relationships and think about installation. True, you can do that in an art fair, but not, I mean, I feel like an art fair is more about a one-to-one transaction, whereas a show, there's there's many, many dimensions to it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm a big believer in that, so... um, it's I guess like that's timing. to throw in like timing's what's really yeah, challenging that is in. that like yeah. when someone comes to your booth at an art fair you're kind of you've got like five different spiels sort of right you know like you've got the like 10 second try to grab them and then like with Nikita's work there's so many different threads to it so when I was at the art fair when I was at Nada with her and I had this one sculpture it's kind of like okay how much time do you have to sit here so that I can like properly go through it. I Venmoed uh, Kevin Zucker, $15. To, uh, there was a collector who I'm buddies with. So I knew it would be like, hey, how's it going? What's up? And I was like, no, this is going to be a serious conversation. And so I had Sydney tell Kevin, because I, I bumped into Kevin at Nada. And I was like, hey, can you come over to the gallery? Like Sydney's going to send to the booth. Can you, Sydney's going to send you a text message. And then when the collector is here, and then come over here and then like slowly talk about the work with me because I needed to have someone else come in to slow it down. So there was this like trifecta of conversation. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the guy that had the booth next to me was like, oh my God, like, <laughs> this is like, this is ludicrous. No, but that's a strategy. I yeah, because I needed the conversation to be yeah. more serious and I needed to have someone slow down the tempo so that this collector would be respectful to this other person that was in the conversation. Right. 
and listen to them. That's great. Yeah. Smart moves. <laughs> uh, um, what about, you know, while we're talking about, uh, I guess, the, the, the context in which we see the art, whether it's a fair or the gallery space, um, what about online platforms? That's like a thing that's out there these days. Um, where do you, what's your take on these online platforms to see things? Whether it's like an artsy yeah. type website or even Instagram for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what's your take on it? It's really complicated because that's like also a similar thing with how you're, because you're kind of like in charge of, you're like the communications director or something for the artists. And so I like negotiate, like Nikita and I were really trying to brainstorm because her work's based so much on research and like Instagram is such a huge distraction. But then it's also this kind of like promotional tool where she's got an installation up at Made in LA, the Hammer Museum Biennial. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and I want people to be able to like know where to go for that, you know, for them to be able to like share images. And I think that, I think we've become really good at reading images like through a screen, like yeah. I can look at something and I can kind of drive a lot from it. But um, you and I were talking the other day about this kind of like this idea. I'm interested also in like um, it's kind of, it's like it creates these like two different threats with the kind of like Internet viewing. It's like this like masturbatory kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then I think that, go, you know, thinking about art fairs and all this kind of stuff that it's like the reason that a gallery solo show is so important is because it gives the opportunity to like actually engage with something and to have it like feed you a little bit. Because like, to me, that's my most, that's like what makes me the happiest is looking at art. Yeah. Like there's nothing I find more satisfying. Yeah. And um, you can see the relationships mm -hmm. between the things as, as opposed to a scroll. that's like a vertical one after the other. Yeah. Like you can like yeah. check up and see what's happening, but you're not going to really be able to get it. And um, yeah, I was interested in this idea of kind of like the way that we take you know, we take so many pictures all the time. Like I'm always just like snapping stuff, like nonstop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like I'll like sit there when I'm on like a long flight. I try to delete like 4,000 photos from my phone. <laughs> like it's just nuts. Um, but I like this idea now of, because we take so many photographs of things and are posting it that that other relationship that you can have with a painting becomes more serious of it being like a, a witness of sorts. Like that you have like a painting up like millennials, right? Mm -hmm. They aren't as interested in collecting art because they have this kind of like very transitory lifestyle where they're like, oh, Airbnb, you know, Airbnb. Oh, don't get me started on Airbnb. I think that's like <laughs> such a sham. <laughs> it's like the most illegitimate way to make money ever. <laughs> but um, yeah, so it's like people kind of are so into like traveling. And it's like they think that they take a picture and then they've got a moment stored. So it's like if you and I... If I took a photo right now mm -hmm. of us doing this podcast, I wouldn't try to like conjure up in my mind like the taste of the croissant that you generously provided. Right. Uh, like the paintings that you had on the walls, like the paper that's on this table. Mm -hmm. Like I would just look at it and then it would be resolved. Right. I would just have the picture and then it's like the memory is like done. It flattens. Yeah. It flattens everything. It flattens everything. Mm -hmm. And so then um, I've been thinking about this idea of like a it's this is like my pitch to millennials to buy art <laughs> let's hear it <laughs> but that it's like if you're taking a bunch of photos and flattening out a memory that a painting can instead like store all of the memories that happened in front of that so that like uh you wouldn't feel as bad about like selling your house and moving if you just brought the painting that was there 
So like if you had a small painting in your dorm room and then you brought that with you, it's like that's like this, it's this witness and it's this like knowledge bank that you've moved everything around. A real object. Yeah, it's like a real object and like holds all of this information. Yeah, I think there's even... It's like Alexa. There's research out there that um, and data that proves that when you take a picture of something, you remember it less. Yeah. I've read some stuff about this. So, I mean, that's sort of what we're talking about. Um, You know, underneath this all is is the act of selling art. Yes. And um, I read somewhere once that if you can't sell a handful of air, you have no business selling art. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I'm always wondering when I have an opportunity to talk to a dealer that's comfortable sharing this information, how do you sell art? It's, it seems like such a magic trick. Well, they need the handful of air. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's about, you know, you have to think that the work is really necessary and is going to push kind of like how we see like our visual vocabulary into a different direction. And, um, I guess for me, it's like when I'm selling work to a collector, it's because I think it's really important for them that they need it in one capacity of another or another. They might just need it to like enrich their life, to have that around, to like drink their coffee across from it and be able to have that experience of having that beauty. Mm -hmm. And then also, um, yeah, I think that there are all different levels. I think it's also like really important to be supporting living artists and like if I had a bunch of money, I think I would find it so satisfying to like go into a gallery like 56 Henry. And, uh, hello, listeners. <laughs> um, but I would find it like so like I'd find it such an ego trip. Like I'd feel great if I just went in with like six thousand dollars cash and was like, here, I want to buy this painting. And you're like, cool. I just paid the artist studio rent. Right. For like two months, and I paid the gallery rent for a month. Yeah, there's this whole ecosystem behind mm-hmm. selling a work of art that I think a knowledgeable collector will understand and realize that they're participating in. But yeah, I mean, you're helping yeah. a lot of other things by taking that painting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also you, you're like participating in culture too, which I mean, culture is so important. Yeah. Um, what about I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna lean in a little bit more on this like active selling art because I've yes. I've observed you as a, as like, um, a social person. And I guess I wanted to talk about, um, how that comes into play with how you make connections with people, how you build relationships with people, and then how you're able to, um, parlay those relationships and social connections into, um, potential sales with between a painting or a sculpture with these people that you're hanging out with. Yeah. Um, I guess it's like I've kind of shifted a little bit more lately where I've been fortunate for people to know enough about 56 Henry that I do get like emails. So I do a lot of like email exchanges yeah. with people yeah. um, where they might like I try to I try to really have the artists like I really care about them having shows at different galleries and different venues. So like I sold um, three of Al's sculptures to a um to a dealer in San Francisco and she had seen the show that I'd put together at Reyes projects in Detroit. Mm-hmm. So kind of having all these different venues for people to see work. Um, and then, so like I do a lot of it, I guess via email or something, but. Well, I guess one example I can think of mm-hmm. is when we we're hanging out last week, you mentioned you had someone in mind for one of Cynthia's paintings and yeah. this person, um, 
was a um, an actor in Hollywood, and there was there's something about the like language or the like the title cards in Cynthia's most recent body of works that you were you sort of were making that connection, like oh, they, this person might be interested in Cynthia's work. I'm gonna I'm gonna sort of work that angle and try and connect. Yeah, um, is that a common like sort of doing the the or, or the common logic that you use in terms of like connecting someone that might be interested with the work with the work that you have access to? It's actually kind of funny with something like that. Like mm-hmm. he was more someone that I'd been um, educating on Cynthia's work for a while. So mm-hmm. he was like interested in like acquiring okay. something. Uh, because sometimes if you like if you do a really literal connection. Yeah. Like that kind of thing where you're like, hey, you're an actor. Or like you're a screenwriter. You're going to like these, um, you know, these sand paintings that are of soap opera credits. Right. That's what they and were. Then credits. People, yeah. People might think that they're. Like someone who wants to buy art also wants to think that they have imagination. Mm-hmm. And so like, they may be like, excuse me? Yeah. <laughs> like you just think that like, <laughs> but I guess there's some of that with like Al. Like there's the, uh, she made that like soft cocaine. I was like, hey, you like cocaine, I heard. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to get this? This is right up your alley. <laughs> yeah. But with Al, I noticed that a lot that, that people sometimes have this relationship to it where they're like, no, that's not me. I have so much more depth. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, no, I guess it's like, I just spend a lot of time. I spend a lot of time with collectors. I enjoy spending time with artists more. Like I just genuinely really enjoy spending time with artists and I don't think of it as work. And though it is obviously, which I'm lucky that that's my work, but it's like collectors. I've got a, I really set a lot of goals for myself. Okay. Like I set financial goals and that will help me spend time. Do you write your goals down or are they collectors. just in the back of your head? I'll have like one big goal. Oh, okay. That I'm always working on. Can you share one? Uh, one was to get an apartment. Okay. So I bought an apartment. Uh, hopefully on Tuesday. Oh, you're in the process of it. Yeah, I'm in oh, the process wow. okay. of it. And it's a room. It okay. doesn't even have an oven, which I didn't notice, which like sh- shows you a little bit about my lifestyle. <laughs> that I was like showing the pictures to someone. They're like, it doesn't have an oven. I was like, oh, whoops. It's uh, also explicitly new york city yeah <laughs> just so a room with nothing yeah in it. it's a room <laughs> yeah. i've got to be like oh i'm getting an apartment i'm getting a room because like you go up and down that ladder from 56 henry enough times and like fall down it and then you're like a crab flipped mm-hmm. over and you're waiting for someone to come in to like flip you back over <laughs> and like once you do that more than twice you're like i'm no yeah so i made it like this mission sam moyer was the one that helped me come up with it as a mission and then now my mission is to get Sydney on like a more like she's got she's living in the back and she has her like she has a monthly payment from right. me. But I want her to be able to instead of her having like a situation that works, mm-hmm. that's like slightly tenable. I want her to be able to have like a proper salary that someone gets as an entry level, like slightly more than entry level and like health benefits right. and all of that kind of stuff. So right. that's the big thing that I'm working on. Right. And, and just to clarify real quick, at 56 Henry, when you first open it up, the front half of the gallery or front two thirds of the gallery was exhibition space. The back was the living quarters, the kitchen, your loft bed mm-hmm. that you were just talking about <laughs> falling down the ladder. Yeah. Um, but at openings, like just to sort of circle back to the social aspect of what you do, you know, that you know, the back living quarters was such a little social hangout area and every opening I go to that there's like this, you know, it's a living room um, yeah. with a little cocktail party going on it um, <laughs> or something, some version of that during the it's opening. It's like a cocktail party meets the six train on rush hour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know what I mean, right? It's, it's, I mean, that was, that's always felt like part of, part of the vibe at 56. Well, it was always yeah. like that. Like I, 
I think that calling it an apartment would be very generous. It was more sure. that I had like a lofted bed inside of a gallery. Right. Like I always used the closet, the shower for storage. Right. So when last I would time I was shower, there, there's stuff in there. Yeah. When yeah. I would shower, it's like I unpack. Like if I went for a run, like go for a run, unpack the shower, like shower, and then I'd have to make sure that like that was all done, like an hour and 15 minutes before opening so then the shower could dry off so that I could put the stuff back in yeah <laughs> which now seems crazy to me yeah. I really like I really went through my threshold with that it sounds crazy but it you know it's real too and I think it like hearing these stories is so important for all of us out there because we have this perception of a gallery and this is maybe this bridges back to like what I talk about the illusion that these that these these spaces are just pristine and clean and and selling work left and right but there's this there's this other side this life that some of these spaces have and to hear you talk about it is really refreshing yeah um so thank you it's manageable yeah um i guess while we're talking about selling art and this is also something we talked about last time we're hanging out is when you have and, and it was like it, i'm still thinking about it because you sort of planted this seed in my head is when you when you have it when you're working with an artist and, and you're fairly certain that the work's going to sell, you want that artist to use quality materials. Can you talk about that? And I think you were talking about uh, stretchers or like not cheap stretchers. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Gosh, so many tangents on my end. No, I this is, it's all connected. It's I disagree. important to use good materials. Yeah. I think that that's like a really essential part where it's like if you have kind of like wonky stretcher bars and you're trying to sell a painting for $8,000, it's like it should be good high quality right. like if you if you're making an object that you're putting out into the world that someone's supposed to buy because they're investing in art which will outlive all of us then if we're lucky yeah mm -hmm. global warming <laughs> <laughs> well a lot of stuff is not made to last is what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. and i just, but it's like if you're making a painting that's something that should last because i think it's important to use high quality stretcher bars right right um and then to like unpack that question a little bit more, how do you know that something's going to sell? I guess I, this is what I was like asking myself because like uh -huh. we're sitting in my studio right now because yeah. your your gallery's going through a renovation. We decided this is the longest renovation yeah. of one room. Yeah, and I, I had a I had a meeting this morning, so some of my stuff is out. And like since we were hanging out last week, I was like, oh man, should I be using higher quality stretchers? <laughs> um, but I'm thinking hey, you like got out some really expensive paint over there, Joe. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm thinking like. I don't know if these are going to sell. I can never predict that. Yeah. Um, and maybe if I crunched my, my sales data, if I wanted to be that guy, I could maybe figure out like a percentage chance that it's going to move, mm -hmm. could be placed. But I, I found myself asking my question, like what is worth spending good materials on? And after talking to you, I was like, wait, I'm going to reevaluate <laughs> all this sort of <laughs> stuff. So it's like, that's another great thing to hear. Um, yeah. Having wonky, warped stretchers is not a good thing. Yeah, I just kind of, uh, it's just a pet peeve of mine. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, it's like, a, it has to be everyone's own decision with like what works because it is expensive. It is. Well, that was like baffling to me. That's I, what it comes down to, what you can afford in yeah, that moment. I didn't know how expensive stretcher bars were until like I've been helping Cynthia out with covering hers mm -hmm. for the show that she has uh, this fall. And I was like, oh, my God, what? This is insane. And then it was so nuts, though. Also, I guess it's like maybe I have to go against my point about high materials because it's like I was thinking back to these studio visits that I went on. And I was, like, you know, like studio visits like three years ago or something like that 
with like a young artist that had like five thousand dollars of stretcher bars in there, and I'm like, whoa. That's a that's a couple months rent or more. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Good. <laughs> then like it maybe it makes me skeptical. Well, this you know, like a like a custom aluminum trimar stretcher frame is expensive so really i mean just to underscore what you can afford is what you can coffins afford coffins are also really expensive <laughs> that's like the big money maker coffins yeah yeah that's my million dollar idea i want to do like ikea coffins i don't they make cardboard like biodegradable coffins nowadays oh I guess it's already been taken. But maybe you could come off, come out with like some artist edition. Like I could see if like Aaron at Fritz wants to like help me make uh, crates. Yeah, there you go. Body crates. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, this is a, a, a topic that is a, a well-traveled road and we could argue it's sort of clickbait, but I think nonetheless, it's always great to hear different perspectives on it. And, um, you know, I want to talk to you about how an artist that's seeking gallery representation, like some of the things that they could should maybe take into consideration or think about while they seek that out. Does anything come to mind? So many things. Yeah. No. Um, I really love, uh, there's this great, John Waters has this great quote, or I don't know if it's a quote, he just wrote something really great uh, that was saying that like, uh, it was something along the lines of that like if you're an artist, you just need one person to really believe in you. And I think that that's very true, that you need to have like your one advocate and then everything else can kind of follow. Uh, so I think that that's like it's the, the patron model. Yeah, yeah, I think. But it's like even it's like I'm a patron in a way to the artist because I pay the rent mm -hmm. to I'm like maybe I don't know, maybe that's being overly generous, but I'm like a patron in the way I can because I don't have enough money to be like a proper patron. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that it's like you have one person who really believes in it. And then you can get, and then that person can help get other people to believe in it. But that that's like step one. Mm -hmm. And I think that for artists, like there's this often this negotiation about like how much of it is like networking versus studio time, that kind of stuff. Like obviously studio time and like just making the best work is what's the most important. And then ideally you get a dealer so that you can be in your studio and not have to worry about all that hustle. going out and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, if you don't have a dealer and you don't know anyone, um, I think that, I think it's important to be going to shows regularly because you should be, if that's like a, an ecosystem that you want to participate in, you should know a lot about the work that's being made and being shown. When you say go to shows, you mean go to openings? I actually would say to not go to openings. I'm glad oh, okay. you just said that because I think that I, w I think that it's much more effective for an artist to go and do their rounds of shows on like a Sunday every month. And then like foot traffic is tough at galleries. Mm -hmm. Like 56 Henry is very tiny, so it can feel like it's really busy. Yeah. <laughs> and I am fortunate. I have like much better foot traffic than I could have imagined. And so I'm really lucky with that. But I think it's also because there's a lot of seating. <laughs> Some people will stay for a while. Right. Um, that social space in the back we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah the chill zone. Um, but uh, I think that it's like if you're an artist and you're trying to like connect with dealers or something, like go and visit their gallery so that you're engaging with their program. Because I get like so many emails every day from someone that it's like they're just going and sending an info, like an email to every info account. Right. And if someone comes into the gallery and sees like almost every show... On, and I know people are busy, but if someone like makes a point and comes to the gallery and sees every show, then I'm going to really appreciate that because that's what yeah. I'm doing is putting right. the work up for an audience. 
And then that's going to create like a much more effective bridge where it's like in an opening, like I'm not like actually listening to what anyone's saying right. because I'm all, like, I've got completely different motivations the whole time. And you've got a hundred people bugging yeah. you about stuff. Yeah. And you're just trying to make sure of it. And then also to that point, I would say that it's for artists. I think that it's like, uh, so like, okay. So I'm saying like go to galleries like once a month and go and see them and support the programs. And, and when you, when you recommend that people go to the gallery, do, do you engage the person at the desk and say, Hey, my name is Joe and I make paintings. Can you come to my studio? I, I mean, bring them like rolled up and just unroll them. And say, Can <laughs> I hang it here? No, don't do that. <laughs> but I, I mean, I'm being kind of snarky, but I yeah. wonder like, how do you walk that line about like making your presence known and creating some sort of connection with the people that work at the gallery without being obnoxious about it? Is there I think it's just going to happen naturally. And like, yeah. if you're an artist that's like looking for a dealer, like it's going to be hard for you to go into like Paula Cooper and get picked up anyway. So it's like, if you're trying to do, like if we're talking about like step one, mm -hmm. like getting someone who is a fan of your work that is also knows how to sell work. And if you're doing it, like the visiting galleries is a nice thing. I've met like most of the artists through um, other artists. Like, right. Matt Kenny recommended Cynthia Talmadge to me. My sister's an artist and she told me about Nikita's work. Um, but Liz Corey actually told me about Richard and then Al I met through Zach. So I guess that's like half dealers, half artists. Yeah, I was going to say, is it fair to say and just as much as going to shows on Sundays, mm -hmm. we should be going to other artist studios? Yeah, I yeah. think it's really important to have those kind of dialogues. Like, why else live in New York? If yeah. you're living in New York City and you're paying the rents here, you should be seeing, like, you should also absolutely be seeing every museum show. I'm, like, a little bit judgy about that sometimes when I'm in an artist's studio and there's, like, a retrospective up with someone that they should, like, if there's, like, a Laura Owens show and they're making work that looks like it might have been made in a computer, and I'm like, oh, come on. Right. So I think it's important to kind of like you should, you know, it's like if your work relates to someone like that, you should be like dying to go and yeah. get over there. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it's it's recognizing the interconnectedness of it all, mm -hmm. S connecting with other artists by, by a studio visit, like just reaching out. I think yeah, you we can underestimate reach out to other artists. Yeah, we more underestimate. Than you think you I mean, can. artists want most artists, I think, are lonely. <laughs> and they want people to come by and check things out. Yeah. Um, are take you lonely, advantage of that. Joe? It can get lonely in here. I mean, I, you know, I, I like having, I like talking to people, obviously. Yeah. Um, and I love talking about art. So I think those things are helpful. Well, you've had like really incredible relationships with people where it was kind of reaching out. Like you've had really amazing artists reach out to you. You've reached yeah. out to really amazing artists. And it's like where you've, like it's not so, like if you like an artist's work, you should send them an email and say, hey, I'm a really big yeah. fan. Can I come by? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And then if you are just going to like email, like, I just think it's surprising, like the amount of, like, it's just really ineffective. I guess it's like, it's so ineffective to just send emails to people being like, Hey, look at this. Oh, another thing that I would recommend yeah. if an artist isn't represented at all is to, uh, try to be a part of the white columns online registry. Mm hmm because that's for artists that aren't represented in New York City. And they've done a lot with like engaging people to have them like guest curators. Um, so like Ashton, who was at Nicole Bouchain, she did like an online show. I did an online show. So I was like 
flipping through that for a really long time. Right. So that's like a really awesome platform. Yeah, it's a great resource. Yeah. Um, maybe we could segue into uh, so some of the expectations that artists um, have of their gallery and vice versa, what the gallery expects from the artists. What do you, what do you, what do you, th- what do you expect when there is an established relationship between mm-hmm. gallery and artist? What are the responsibilities of each person? I think that uh, I'm surprised in talking to friends and other artists that people aren't more like structured about it. Mm-hmm. Like when I want to represent an artist, I like take them out and I like sit them down and I'm like, this is what I think that I can provide for you. This is why I think you should be represented by me. Let's set these goals and try to work hard to accomplish them. Mm-hmm. And um, just saying that out loud is important. Yeah. Sorry, that was I just. I mean, I had a conversation recently about like saying out loud your goals and letting other people know them is a huge step that we don't always do. Yeah, I'm on the record now. I've got to get Sydney healthcare next year. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to interject that. No, I think, but I think it is important to have these really candid conversations and to know and to be like. I mean, I think I talk to every artist, like every artist I represent, probably every day via text message or on the phone. Like we're in constant communication, and. I think that it's, um, yeah, I think it's really necessary to like sit down and map out what you want the relationship to be because, and then also it's like, I spend a lot of time kind of trying to like the artists are in their studio ultimately like making their work and not thinking about that much stuff. And that's why I get 50% is to do all of it for them. And, um, so I'm usually kind of like advancing it on my own, like caring about them having like their work being shown in red states, I think is, you know, like a different, you know, like it really being an expansive kind of exhibition format. And um, like things like if an artist, like, you know, if an artist is with their, I I hear artists get frustrated with their dealers so often, you know, like artists will vent to me a lot about being like, oh, and this and that and that kind of thing. It's like your dealer might not know that you want to be in like more like group shows where nothing sells and like you might be feeling out of touch with that kind of like culture or whatever and so like they might just not know that so i think that it's all it's just important to know what you want and then i think it's also and let the other party know yeah that's what i will go back to like verbalize it like let let them know no Mm -hmm. one's going to intuit anything from you yeah Yeah. because i look at it as this like really formal business relationship and where you have to be laying that out consistently and if there are disappointments you have to say what the disappointments are and um i th- like i notice a lot that um artists will be like frustrated they're not showing in like la more or something right and if an artist is with a gallery and they're like uh i really want to show in la why aren't i showing in la then they should be talking to the dealer about that and it's important for the dealer to be honest because if the if the dealer doesn't ha- like maybe the dealer doesn't have people in la right that he or she can contact and say hey can you look at this artists like that's another part that's important about art fairs is that if i'm doing the dallas art fair then i'm out there with dealers from other states right and then it that's important to mention you're like the part of the fair or part of the responsibility of a, of a dealer is facilitating uh relationships with other dealers not just collectors mm-hmm. i mean i think sometimes we, we forget that for these reasons yeah connect your artists with other dealers other other places um Oh, wait, I wanted to go back to one thing, though, with artists that aren't represented. 
because we talked about this before. Like, I think that oh, yeah. um, it's like, so, okay. So if there's like an artist that comes by 56 Henry regularly and is like supportive in that way. And if I like the artist's work, I might try to like, there might be an opportunity that could make sense. Yeah. So I might try to like, be like, oh, hey, I heard about this show and this person's putting it together. I want to put you guys on an email so right, that right, you right. can try to be in the show. And that it's like, it's surprising to me how often it does, like the artist doesn't follow up on it hmm. or something, you know, or like kind of like wants to, I don't know, like, or just like doesn't make it happen. And I think that like, I don't know if it's because they think it's not good enough for them or what it is, but I think that it's, uh, it's really important to take opportunities where you get them. Yeah. Uh, well said. Yeah. I think artists are lazy. It's a, it's like a weird, it's like a nasty cocktail of laziness, insecurity and fear, which is insecurity in the first place. But, um, yeah. and maybe, maybe some ego too. Like I'm not good enough for that. So no, it's probably like it's insecure, but insecurity yeah. is always the same thing as ego yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. But just that it's, um, I think that like the time that's often spent, I feel like sometimes I'm like, you artists. <laughs> and I shouldn't, you know, let me, let me, let me backtrack a little bit. Not lazy, disorganized. Yeah, or they're, just they're like different. not thinking in yeah. that mode. Yeah. And um but I kind of I feel like there's this bad habit where sometimes like a group of artists they'll like get together and they'll be hanging out all the time and they'll be kinda like, oh whatever, like screw that, like that kind of thing and not um and like building their own community and then thinking that they wouldn't want to do this show in this place because and it's like I think that instead they should be like, yeah, I'll come and drop the work off. If, if you don't have opportunities yet, like if you're there and it's step one, like you've got to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And that uh, artists, like talking to artists, I often have to kind of like convince them to do things because I feel like people are often like hesitant because they think it might not be the right first step for them. Right. But it's like any step, you're just taking the first step. Right. So it ha like you have to start somewhere. Yeah. And you never know, like the person's putting together that pop-up show and that kind of thing. You know, it's like, don't do it to a point where you feel abused, but. Right. Yeah. Plus I don't think. Don't be a snob. Yeah. I think, I think the, the contemporary world is much more open than it used to be mm -hmm. and much more flexible and, you know, doing those sort of offbeat shows. Um, when I was younger, my perception was that they, that you weren't taken seriously if you were doing sort of goofball stuff. Now, I don't think that's the case now. Would yeah. you agree? Disagree? I, yeah, I don't think that people like focus and pay enough attention to it because I think that with having times with like galleries, clothes, like all of this stuff, mm -hmm. the internet invented, like, <laughs> you know, like I think that it's just kind of, I have, I have a lot of conversations with artists where they're talking to me and I'm happy to like walk them through it, but where they're nervous that something's not the right context for them. Right. And like, you're not settling into like what it's going to be forever. Right. And I've been really fortunate to have artists like before, I guess, cause like I could see that kind of like the both sides of it where it's like someone would do a show with me at 55 Gansevoort and they'd be like, well, whatever. I think she's cool. I'll yeah. do it. Like yeah. fun. Why not? And then I would have people that would turn it down until someone like Jessica Stockholder or something like that showed with Right. Me. Someone else legitimizes it for yeah, them. Someone like has they, to legitimize they don't it trust first. themselves. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's like, you can kind of like also just like, take a chance with it yeah that goes back into our own insecurities i think and yeah. ego. yeah um, it's so hard you know i feel like we you know i'm remembering some of the stuff we talked about last time you mentioned you so you you actually look at artists cvs on websites mm -hmm. or at other shows which was refreshing here i always think that people just gloss right over those especially 
dealers. Um, but you're saying that you like seeing kind of an eclectic mix of things or that that stands out to you sometimes. Yeah, we were talking yeah. about an artist who had, um, I saw her work and I really loved it. And like, she, yeah, she had a bunch of like cheese ball galleries that she was showing with. But I was like, you know what? That's cool. Like she wasn't spending like all of those hours that are spent like talking shit kind of about galleries and that kind of stuff. It's like she just was like, okay, cool. There's a space. I'm going to show my work there. Like you have the art at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. So it's like there's a tangible item that you can like see and assess if it's good or not. Like right. you just want people to be able to see it. So you give them the opportunity right. to engage with it. It's well said. Let's put put this down and talk about biography a little bit. Okay, perfect. Uh, you are from Michigan, I know. Yes. Um, the Detroit area. And um, we have some stuff in common. My dad's from Detroit. And we both have family. My grandfather worked for GM, as I, I think someone in your family worked for GM. Yeah, my father was at General Motors. So we have that in common. 27 um, years. I wanted to uh, do some Detroit trivia with you. Perfect. You ready? Um. What's the name of the infamous outdoor art project in Detroit's McDougal Hunt neighborhood? Heidelberg Project. That was an easy one. <laughs> That's an amazing thing, though, right? I mean, it's it's um, it's like a series of, of residential homes that have been painted mostly with big, colorful circles. Um, and there's also, like, found objects that have been painted all over the place. Follow-up trivia question. What's the name of the artist that did it? Tyree Guyton. What year? Ooh, shoot. 84? Close, 1986. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, another follow-up? What's the name of the street it's on? McDougal Street, Heidelberg Street. Heidelberg Street, hence the name of it. <laughs> I never knew that until I looked all this up the other night. Um, I think I thought that was stupid of me not to know, the, the fact that it's Heidelberg Street. Yeah, you street. gave me, like, a, a good one there. Yeah. Um, the other thing I learned about while I was researching this is... Um, Tyree's wife, Karen, and his grandfather, Sam, were instrumental in realizing it all, too. So it was more than just him, obviously. Cool. But uh, my aunts used to take me there when I was a kid because mm -hmm. um, we would have we'd often do Thanksgiving in Detroit. And uh, you know, I have some fond memories of being like, what is this place? Yeah. Um, and wishing I like lived in it. it sort of had like this Willy Wonka vibe it's to it. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, OK. In Detroit, what is a Coney Island? A Coney Island, a Coney Island dog. Yes, elaborate. Oh, <laughs> Ooh, this is great. Can we do ten more? Um, it's like chili sauce, kind of on top of the. It's like a hot dog with chili it's sauce and like some mustard, usually. Yeah, it's like a like a chili sauce on a hot dog. And my dad used to go to the one downtown called Coney Island Lafayette in mm -hmm. downtown Detroit, and his whole thing was. Um, getting a chocolate milk with it because they do this whole like theatrical pour out of a carton of chocolate milk like yeah soda like soda oh, shop gosh. style or uh -huh. something um anyways <laughs> for must, people that are from that detroit must really help it go down yeah I know. <laughs> you know i was just really like reflecting on other places that have other other similar things in providence rhode island it's basically the same thing but with coffee milk and they call it a hot wiener Instead a hot of a, wiener we had coffee milk on the no you get a you get a like a like a, a hot dog with a meat sauce and I think they, meat sauce on it and I think they put celery salt on it. Celery salt. They call it a hot wiener though instead of a Coney Island and instead of chocolate milk you get a coffee milk. 
hot which wiener. is which is like like a co- like a chocolate milk but coffee flavor yeah. instead also strange that you would wash down a hot dog with milk <laughs> that feels kind of nasty <laughs> i'm gonna look up hot wiener on urban yeah, dictionary it might it. have some other <laughs> yeah i know right <laughs> Uh, who painted the fresco murals in the Detroit Institute of Art? Diego Rivera. This is correct. Good guy or bad guy? Mm, I mean, who was worse, Trotsky or Diego Rivera? Or Picasso. Or Picasso. I mean, I mean, yeah. we could go on and on about, do we separate the art from the artist? Um, I know Diego Rivera is kind of nasty to Frida, so that's yeah. why I wonder. Like, I, I, he's a dubious figure in my brain. Anyone that's sort of like nasty to... I or just violent totally towards women. Separate it, like, cause I think it's just yeah. too challenging. Like I get so much like joy and happiness out of looking at a Picasso painting yeah. that I don't want to sit there and think about like how young Dora Maar was or, you know, like how, I don't remember how old she was. When right. What does the Mo in Motown records stand for? Ooh, let me think. Motion. Ma, mono recording studio mm. motor motor oh motor. my gosh of course motor city but motor I, city. I liked witnessing and hearing you work through that that was great <laughs> if you just gave me about 10 more minutes i would have guessed it <laughs> and another fun fact about motown records it wasn't originally called motown records it was called, it was called barry gordy it was called Tomla Records. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. T-A-M-L-A. Huh. It was founded by Barry Gordy Jr. Yeah. in 1959. Let's get back into art and some of I like I, I enjoy. Oh, I like the trivia. Yeah. Okay. I, um, you know, uh, some of the the like practical information that we can sort of share with other artists is great. And, and I want to talk to you about studio visits. I think that's another great thing to hear your point of view about. Um, and I wonder if you could talk about like what your like what the conditions are for a healthy studio visit from your point of view would be. I think number one is that people should have snacks. <laughs> That's important. Yeah, you're hosting. Yeah, you should have snacks and water and a place to sit because there's just like if you're caring about having someone come over to your studio, there's no reason for it to be cut short. Like I am often running like trying really hard to get to a place on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and there's just, yeah, it's like, why would you, uh, why would you not spend the like $10 on having like a more in depth studio visit because the person's like parched or really hungry. Yeah. You want to make them comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's smart and good to do. Um, I, uh, like the best studio visits, I was reflecting on it a bit. And, um, like if you can have your work set up for a show when someone comes by, that's great. Like set your studio up like a, almost like a gallery. Uh, Not necessarily. It doesn't necessarily need to be like a gallery, but just that it's like, I've had it when, like when I've brought, um, like European dealers or something like that over to the artists that I work with studios. And sometimes we like don't have anything Mm -hmm. that's really in there. And then it's hard for them to think about like the show that they'll put together. Right. Like then they're nervous about like, okay, how long is this going to take to make the work? Like, but if you're kind of able to like prepackage it a little bit. Right. We're talking about staging basically. Yeah. Like how you set your studio. Yeah. I think that staging is nice. Okay. But that also, so it's like the first like half hour of a studio visit. (laughs) How long have you been here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Did you take the train? Yeah. Yeah. How was, it was great. It was fine. It's the small talk. (laughs) 
like, like, and you're like, oh my God. Um, but uh, so as far as kind of like, I think that there's that negotiation of like, do you have other workout or do you just have the work that you want them to see? Works in progress. Do you have those out? Yeah. Do you have works in progress? All of those kind of things. So mm-hmm. like, I think that ideally my like recipe for a good studio visit delicious dish Mm -hmm. i'm getting excited about having this microphone um (laughs) but like for like for the ideal studio visit i would have snacks water seating i'd have it be like staged somewhat to kind of like show what um like an exhibition could cut like to give someone enough to work with Mm -hmm. maybe have something in progress so that they can see kind of get a little bit more of an idea of the method if you're comfortable with them knowing that and then i think that it's like I always I always spend an hour almost like I'll spend 45 minutes to an hour in an artist studio, even if I kind of like go in there and for the first 15 minutes, I'm like, this is not for me. Mm-hmm. But then I want to kind of like give myself a little bit of time in case like another sort of like string comes out. Mm-hmm. And I think that as an artist, you might be nervous that if you like then get something out at like the 35 minute mark that then they're going to stop liking the work. But if, an, if a dealer comes into your studio, they probably already like it. Right. Or it's like they decide in the first 20 minutes if they like it or not. And if they like it, they're going to keep wanting to see more because they're just curious. But it's fine. They've already seen what they like. And like a lot of artists have work that you don't like, but you like other stuff. Right. And then if I'm in there and it's 20 minutes and I'm kind of not that resolved, but I don't want to be like a bitch. So I want to stay longer. Then there's also like they might get something out and like later that I'm like, oh, wait, this is interesting. So I think it's OK to get out work that you might think is like B work or something because you're still trying to right. figure it out. Yeah. It also gives the 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 guests more context to like r- relate one work to something that might not be as successful from your yeah. point of view as the one that you want want them to see. That's nice. Uh, another I also thing, though, yeah. like, don't like I like I don't like going on studio visits. You don't. Why not? <laughs> I just like for me I it's kind of like archaic okay the whole like studio visit thing so like I'll get like someone will email me or someone will email me saying oh like will you go and visit this person's studio and then I feel like I'm sometimes doing it out of like courtesy maybe you know like, you feel obligated like that. for some like, reason yeah. yeah and then it's like okay it's like an hour both ways on the train like I would rather I would rather like it's it's just kind of like it's like this really like old system where to me it makes a lot more sense for someone like if someone has like a work in a group show mm-hmm. for them to tell me that so then I can go see that in person. Oh, good point. And for me to talk to them about the work like it'd be so much easier if someone said, "Hey, I've got a painting up in this group show. Do you want to come and see it?" And I'll meet I you there. Go, yeah, and then I the, go the and artist I will meet, meet you there. them yeah. there and then we can like have uh, you know, lunch afterwards and chit chat more. Where it's like there's this, there are all these formalities with the studio visit. Yeah. It's like that opening small talk and then like 45 minutes to an hour kind of like. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. The awkwardness. Like, yeah, the beginning and awkwardness. it just kind of like it goes on for so long sort of. And I feel like, like when I go on studio, I don't go on so many studio visits where I'm trying to like discover something. Right. And I would rather like talk to someone for a bit and get to know them. So then when I go to their studio, it's like our second meeting. Oh, okay. And then I can kind of like get into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you've gotten sort of this yeah, strangeness like a out of the way. Yeah, more foundations because it's very awkward. Interesting. Um, oh, and then there was something else. Oh, and then for, oh, for staging, I think that it's also uh, one of the tips that someone told Nikita 
is to have a framed work in your studio. Something smaller. So if you can have something that's, yeah, but yes, yeah, like if, if you make drawings, having mm-hmm. a frame, like a really nicely framed drawing so that people can also think about like how they would take that out of your studio to like put it into something else, like to help them make that, like you're cutting out another step that they have to process. Yeah, you're, you're showing them something that's ready to go. Yeah. Wall ready. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the the awkwardness of that beginning stretch where you're sort of talking about nothing. Like, how'd you get here? And, you know, how's your week going? I mean, we get into this whole, like, who should lead the conversation. This is something that's come up, like, people have yeah. asked me in the past and I think about, um, is who should be leading the conversation. And when you when you do go to a, a visit that's uh, uh, one that you're happy about, um, are you being being led through the visit or are you... Do you feel more like you're leading? Like, which do you, do you prefer one way or the other? Well, that was a long-winded way to get that question. I'm like out. a really bossy person, <laughs> so I'm always like sitting, like after you know, like I'm like leaving the studio and then thinking about the work, and then it's like eight minutes to like nine minutes later after mm-hmm. I've been like oh, I'm thinking about this kind of stuff. I'm like, oh no, did I just like go and just completely like turn everything upside down yeah, yeah, yeah. so i'm like i'm the wrong person to ask about that because i'm okay. always nervous that i'm sitting there and like speaking too freely i mean like well i think that actually and like just sharing all of my opinions and giving someone like a mild heart attack that they might not be right showing to me i'm like oh did i just like ruin someone's day right 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 i think it's a good good thing to think about for artists i tend to like to lead I like to set the tone Mm -hmm. and this is my space and I feel like there's so many strange power dynamics between dealers and collectors and artists that like when I'm in my studio I want to be in charge because I feel like I'm not as much in charge outside of here yeah um so you can take that for what it's worth but um and then I would also say that for like the whole studio visits that kind of thing with like with the amount that people travel all that sort of stuff like I really I think that often an artist will like and kind of saying what you're saying about like power dynamics. Mm-hmm. It's like an artist will send an email inviting someone to their studio and then like I won't respond to the email because I will have been like traveling and then I get like an unsubscribe notification. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah. Like, give me a minute. But I think that it's like uh, I think that it's I think artists sometimes get nervous about following up with someone when they invite them to a studio visit. But it's like. Because they're like, oh, well, like, I just went through that, you know, and I understand where they're coming from. They're like, I just sent you that email. It kind of took like a little bit of courage from me. Right. But it's, yeah, it's like really okay to follow up with it because when, you know, for me, it's like I have to prioritize the artists I work with, collectors, like the show that I have going on and doing everything for that. And so it's just hard for me to put that on the top kind of like level. And so it's like it might get lost in emails. Right. Especially if I'm traveling. Right, right. Um, what about, you know, and we're talking about artist dealer mm-hmm. studio visits as opposed to artist artist studio visit, which is, uh, I think, a whole different set of conditions. But um, are there things that you think an artist should keep to themselves during a studio visit with another dealer? Gosh, I don't know. I'm like so nosy. I try to get everything out yeah. of someone like immediately. I think that. Um, like how open should we be? Because it's something that I've I've like rubbed up against and had to reevaluate. I think that you can be pretty open about everything. Like, I'll, like sometimes, uh, 
an artist will kind of like, I sound like so negative on artists right now. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love artists. That's all I do. Um, but, uh, I think like, I would actually say kind of like the reverse of that or something is when someone is trying to kind of like sell you on working with them and they're like telling you like that their work has been selling really well right or like what other people are interested and i'm like I, that's my job right <laughs> to like, it's like i know like and you don't do it every day so you're probably not going to be as good at like pulling it off sort of okay so i guess it's like the like the humble brag try to not do that that's a good instead point instead just be like i was really psyched that this person liked it right but i think that uh I like I feel pretty confident that I know how to kind of get information out of people, the sort of information that I'm looking for. And if that was something that I was curious about, I think I'd be able to ask it. Right. Uh, so I think you can kind of like take the lead of what I guess of what the dealer kind of is trying to find out. Yeah. Good point. Are, are you the type of person that will see a work of art and like tear up or weep? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also just like that. I'll watch a movie. Like I'm the worst person to sit next to on a flight because I'll just be sitting there like crying and well, laughing. Well, films on or movies on no, on no. flights do that. Yeah, I mean, of the I cried at an Adam Sandler movie once. Yeah, no, I'm just like sobbing there. Yeah, that's sweet, Joe. Um, I'm trying to think about. I mean, Richard's show at Chime and Raid. I really. That was very like sentimental, and I really loved it because I thought I was kind of like watching like a breakthrough for mm -hmm. him. And so that, but that also had like its personal connotations, but I was like really moved and like couldn't, like actually couldn't speak for like a little bit afterwards because I was just totally floored. Amazing. And awed by it. And um, what else have I seen that's really great? I mean, I saw some really incredible little Picabia drawings. It could even drawings. be Picabia drawings? Yeah, I yeah, saw fantastic. some great Picabia yeah. drawings. There's a show at uh, Hauser & Worth. It's like a single collector show. Mm -hmm. These amazing Picabia. And there was like, um, there's like a Stieglitz photo. There was a photo of the woman from Sunset Boulevard, that Gloria Swanson. It was pretty amazing. And like some Bruce Nauman works. I loved the uh, Bruce Nauman show in Basel. Mm -hmm. That's coming to MoMA. That was really great. And I loved the last video, the, the most recent video he made. Great. Yeah. Um, what about uh, dream projects? Is there anything on the horizon or something that you want? You mean, at the start of this conversation, we sort of talked about goals. Yeah. Um, and you're in the process of buying an apartment, which is, in, is, is quite a feat. But what else? A room, Joe. I'll buy a, a room. room. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want people to get the wrong yeah, idea here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's exceedingly modest. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, I guess like my goals for the gallery are that, I mean, I'm doing, you were going to ask me what keeps me up at night. I was going to. Oh, yeah. What keeps you up at night? Uh, well, I didn't really sleep last night because I was just doing um, shipping for the show in Paris and then uh, what's in Paris uh, I'm doing a I'm putting together a three person show oh, okay. of Tony Mattelli Sam Moyer and Nikita Gale at Cezanne and Benetier's location okay great yeah sounds wait. amazing yeah it's gonna be good hopefully the shipping will work <laughs> and then I'll sleep again um, <laughs> but yeah the logistics will keep you up yeah, yeah and it really shuts down in August I guess apparently mm -hmm. that's what they're saying um, but uh yeah, so I guess, well, going back to the goals and like where I see 56 Henry, I'm figuring out right now what um, I might be getting a backer soon, which will be really great. 
So Sydney and I were like talking about episodes of Shark Tank we'd watch to try to like figure out how to do a business plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then I like emailed my friend in Hong Kong to be like, how do I do this? Right. Um, but I'd love to, I think that that could be really great just to be able to kind of like have like a slightly larger art fair booth and have greater production budgets, that kind of thing. And I'm pretty like, I don't know, I'm pretty like for like for having like a gallery in an apartment, all of that kind of stuff. I'm like actually really traditional about it all where I just want to have like a really solid New York gallery where the artists are like comfortable and having museum attention and that it's all just like formidable and contributes and is good. Right. Would you want is is more space? I mean, that's sort of the rhetorical thing that artists or even galleries in New York want is more space to operate. Is that something that you think about? Definitely. Definitely. I would love to have like a Chelsea space eventually one day. Or I don't know if Chelsea will still be the place, a Tribeca space or something like that. Um, because it's important to give the artists, like I really love that. That's a big reason why I'm renovating the gallery. It's like I didn't want Richard's show to be like the same thing a year and a half later in the same space. It's like artists need to be able to think about spaces for how they expand their work in different directions. Right. So in my space right now is like a little bit limiting. Right. Which can be um, a strong, a strength. Yeah, it can be think. helpful yeah, in it its own, right? But as I become a more like proper gallery, yeah. I'd love to have, I want to have a skylight. I want to have proper storage in the basement, a good staff, that kind of thing. Good. Shout them out. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been great, Ellie. I, um, you know, your transparency and, all the practical info that you're sharing has been uh, wonderful to, to parse out. And thanks for taking us to school. Thank you. We've made it to the end. A quick reminder that Deep Color is independently produced and a free resource for listeners. Help support and sustain this project by making a donation online at deepcolorpodcast.com. You can also learn more about each contributing artist, find links to their online portfolios, and access the archive of past recordings. Be sure to share this project within your community and subscribe and rate in the Apple Podcast directory or through Stitcher. Your continued support and belief in Deep Color is profoundly important, and I thank you for your generosity.